In this week's episode, Gender Cool co-founder Gara Goldstein and I will chat about Patagonia's new ownership structure, a new policy with the Boston Marathon, a hundred million dollars in pay hikes, and much more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Gara, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Sure. Hi, my name is Gara Goldstein. I use she, her pronouns. I am, as you had mentioned, co-founder of the Gender Cool Project and also an independent consultant uh, in the DEI space with an expertise in LGBTQ plus inclusive policy and procedures within the workplace. And I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Bernadette. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. To get started, would you mind just telling the world what the Gender Cool Project is? Because I think it's super cool and I think more folks need to hear about it. You know, when you asked me to, to join you on the podcast, I thought there's such an interesting parallel between the zoomed out aspect of what Gender Cool is and, and what we do and how it was started, which was really to share the positive, affirming experiences that transgender and non-binary young people were having. And we knew many years ago that these positive stories weren't being shared. Many times marginalized communities lead with trauma forward narratives and we sought to change that and help replace whatever opinions people might have about transgender and non-binary young people with the actual experience of meeting them firsthand and and learning about who they are, uh, what their interests are and how they go about just being great people. I actually never thought about that before, about the parallel between what you're doing and the five things here. That's actually, I appreciate you saying that because there are a lot of places, you're right, that lead with trauma or they lead with fear or they lead with negative data. And and I think that a lot of folks are motivated by what's going right and by the aspiration and the feeling of hope and the feeling of building positive systems rather than negative. And I I love that. I love that that's so much a part of the core of what Gender Cool is all about. And I can tell you that had Gender Cool existed, you've probably heard this a lot, had Gender Cool existed when I was a a young person, it would have been a complete game changer for me. So thank you for the work you do. It's really important. Yeah, likewise. And and I agree. I think that much of the emphasis on our work is in that same space of, um, you know, whether I'm working on gender cool or working with a client, I'm always thinking about what is it that I would have wanted or how Mm. would I have wanted to learn about 
these topics or subjects or aspects or how would I want to have become aware of these things? And that's what, you know, we bring into the work we do every day. That's a great approach. That's, and it works. It yeah. works. Sure. So in the work that you're doing as a consultant, what are some of the trends that you're seeing? And, and what are some of the things that are giving you hope? Speaking of positivity. You know, that's what I really love about gender cool is because that's the space where I find the most hope and sharing that with my clients, both as we work with gender cool, specifically whether in corporate partnership or independently as a consultant. And for me, where I find the most hope is in the next generation workforce, who these young people are, the people who will be our future leaders. Some are actually leading already today. I mean, they're not waiting around for this space. They're, they're actively grabbing it, stepping forward, stepping in, and making change happen. And so to me, that's where, where I find the most hope. I don't spend a lot of time uh, trying to convince people who are, are so set in their ways that they're looking to argue their point because the next generation has no time for that either. They, they'll just move on. You know, if, if you don't, you know, respect who they are, uh, they don't respect giving you any of their time and, and they just look past you almost like you're invisible, uh, which to me is a really powerful way to to navigate the world today and, and move forward without um, allowing those who want to create obstacles actually creating them. You know, you can ignore the obstacle and, and just move forward. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of... Uh self-awareness, I think, to be able to do that. And um, those kids are pretty impressive. That's And and I think that, that their Gen Z is more broadly. Um, and it's really cool to see how empowered they are. Yeah. I, I think about the word kids often, Bernadette. And early on, working with some youth-led groups, they were telling me how they prefer to be viewed as young people, right? And, and helping to explore what that really means because there's so much implied, I don't know, implied innocence to using the word kids, right? Like somehow they don't know or they don't have the experience yet. And, and I found that's really not accurate. You know, we all knew as young people, I mean, sure, there's certain things in this world that you need to learn through experience, but when it comes to inclusion, acceptance, openness. These are things that I think by default, most people are. And um, the opposite direction, being non-inclusive, being steadfast in your own beliefs, these types of things are, are things that we're taught. So um, from the aspect of, of saying kids, um, whenever I'm around young people, I, I think of them as just like we are as adults, but with a different, more open perspective. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And I'm definitely going to be much more conscious of that going forward. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time with people that age, to be honest. <laughs> there are some of them in this house some <laughs> of the time. Um, but I don't, and I have an 11 year old myself and, and he, I think is still a kid and, and happily so. 
Um, but no, thank you. Thank you for saying yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's one of those aspects where, you know, I do, I talk about my own children as kids. And, um, and I know what you're saying in the house dynamic, they're definitely kids. And, and, and when I think about that word, I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm using it in a way that, that separates us and their experiences. And, you know, I know better and this is my house and my rules and all that stuff that we were always taught. But I think you're right. When we, when we slow down a little bit and and listen to, to what they're saying, um, many times, maybe the experiences we want to share with them uh, aren't for the better. And that's why I love that work that you're doing, you know, in this positive space, you know, where so many people have a tendency to focus on what's wrong in the world. You know, how did it go today? And, oh gosh, work was so hard. And then, you know, and and what we're really hoping to hear is it was awesome. (laughs) You know, today is great. And I'm so happy to be here. And, you know, but those are not responses we share as, as people. We just always seem to navigate down that easy path of negativity. Well, let's get to the positivity. Let's get to those good vibes for this week. So the first story comes from Patagonia, and the founder has actually transferred ownership of the entire company into two entities to help fight the climate crisis. So 98% of ownership is now in the hands of a nonprofit and the which $100 million in profit each year are being are being redirected towards the climate crisis. And the other 2% is the the legal side of things just to keep things moving. But wow, what a what a precedent. Yeah, you know, I I kind of knew years ago about Patagonia and their efforts in the environmental space and like so many other companies, you know, that those resources that they provide organizations that are doing work, whether environmentally or socially, it's incredibly important, but there always does seem to be this differentiation. And for me, the Patagonia story highlighted not only the need for environmental change, but social change. I had read an article about the children of the founders of Patagonia and how they stated that they didn't want the money and that power of the company to pass down to them. As they had said, you know, the question or the comments about, you know, the billions of dollars. And for them, the idea of being a billionaire is representative of a broken system. And to me, that was so incredibly powerful. Like, I really feel like if I'm going to go buy any outdoor gear at this point, I want to support that kind of thinking. You know, and so I see how it it all kind of comes full circle. I mean, it's such an incredibly powerful statement and what I would say active allyship, right? Like actually doing something that means a great deal, not only to the people involved, but really to the whole world, you know, and I think that this Patagonia move will truly have a huge impact in so many, you know, unknown and immeasurable ways, because I really think they're doing something so unique. We haven't seen companies do this before, you know, maybe a bit with Paul Newman's company, you know, that's another one that stands out to me as an organization that's truly trying to facilitate change. But um, yeah, love what Patagonia did. 
Yeah, they've been doing a lot of really progressive stuff for years now. I mean, paying, uh, making sure employees had paid time off to vote. They were one of the early companies to do that. A lot of on-site childcare, I think fully paid or mostly paid. Things like that that have been very progressive. They have a very low turnover rate. So on one hand, this is completely surprising because there is no precedent. But on the other hand, it's not because it is such a values-driven company. And so just add it to the list of the really amazing things that they're up to. Okay. The second story here is about the Boston Marathon. So for the first time now, Boston Marathon runners will be able to select non-binary male or female when they are registering for the race. Now I've written about the Chicago Marathon and the New York Marathon. Having done this recently, we as a company have worked with Running USA on their policies But the really amazing thing about this is the downstream effect, because there are so many other races that feed into the Boston Marathon because there are qualifying times required. So the downstream effect of this is really huge. Pretty amazing stuff, Gara. It is. You know, I I think some, you know, really great positive news. Um, When I'm working with clients, I always offer that possibility that instead of following what other organizations have been doing and kind of falling into line and making sure that, you know, you have equity in your organization and that you're looking at what your competitors or sister companies are doing in these spaces, but you always also have the opportunity to step out and be a leader, right? To do something that no one's done before. And I think that narrative carries over from the Patagonia story into this. It's who's going to be bold enough to actively make change happen, not talk about it, not explore, not try and figure out because we don't have the data first and all of the testing and, but just go do it because you know, it's the right thing to do. And uh, I think this is the case, and, and you're absolutely right. I, I am, I'm very excited. And just knowing through my own personal life experience that when you can more accurately share who you are, there really are no words, right? Because that's so emotional. It's so incredibly connected to, to your being. And, you know, I'm not a runner, but I do and have read content in the past around how runners feel when they're focused on an event on what, you know, and how internal that experience is as a runner. And I think that this just extends that, you know, how can you be so internal about performance, but then not give people the opportunity to accurately talk about who they are. It's got to be incredibly validating. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the third story is from DoorDash, which is the next company that, I, that I've heard about, or the most recent company that I've heard about that is paying its employee resource group leaders. And they have eight ERGs, but only about 6% of U.S. companies actually compensate those leaders in any way. And I think that this is a really big problem. Uh, I think that, that there's a lot of you know unpaid labor that goes into ERG leadership. What do you think? I think it's Phenomenal, excellent, and and long overdue. You know, I believe that if for people like us, Bernadette, in the work that we do, we are 
in many ways, taking the burden off of those employees that are in that workspace that have been carrying this load for so many decades, right? Where marginalized communities are tasked with teaching other people about who they are, even though all that information is available and can be learned individually and it shouldn't be the lift and burden. You know, they should be able to come to work like everyone else and do their job. But there's the compelling argument that, you know, those of us in marginalized communities do have to be leaders by, you know, we are by proxy leaders by simply being who we are. And it does take effort and it does take time. And I think that ERGs bring such a valuable, incredibly valuable space to the workforce that it absolutely needs to be compensated. I think some of the most powerful change in the corporate world has come through ERGs because it empowers them, right? And and as an example, if I were to say to you, you know, I think we should do this, you know, That's me saying to you, that's what I think. But when you can walk to management and say, we think we should be doing this, it's much more powerful. So the ability to form these ERGs, and and for those of you that might not be familiar with what that is, that's a group of employees that share some type of connection, whether it's, you know, working parents or LGBTQ or people of color or Asian Pacific Islanders something that holds you together that might not be something that your company is sensitive about, like needing time off for holidays and certain celebration and, you know, just helping your organization, your company become aware. Many times groups are formed within these companies and companies have been over the years more receptive and providing more resources to these groups to help them grow within the companies. But yeah, Bernadette, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, the next story comes from Hard Rock, which is investing a hundred million dollars in its employees simply through wage hikes that will benefit 10,000 plus folks. Some of these employees are going to see a raise of 60%. And these are jobs like cooks, housekeepers, security, call center, frontline employees, disproportionately BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, employees. $100 million, Gara. Super important. You know, I think that so many big companies forget about the employees that actually interact on a daily basis with the customer. And when you have employees that feel undervalued, that's the image that they project to the people that these companies are, are engaging with. and. You know, I think we all know it, you know, when we go to low wage worker interaction on a daily basis, sometimes, you know, we're really surprised by someone who just seems happy, (laughs) like that simple task of, wow, you know, I got some coffee today and that person was really sweet, you know, and now you think you can't, you know, this is the place that you want to come back tomorrow. And that person is the lowest paid person in the company, yet they're the ones that have the most power. And I think respecting that relationship between who interacts with the company, who does that frontline work, as you mentioned, but I think it's really important 
through and through. And when workers feel valued, it is going to show up in everything that company does. Absolutely. They're the face of the brand and uh, they do carry in a lot of weight and there is definitely a lack of respect. So in, in general, um, so I think this really does show a commitment to those folks. And, and you're right, there will be a ripple effect. There's going to be a ripple effect, I'm sure, which is why they're doing this. There's going to be a ripple effect in terms of lower employee turnover and better customer service. It's literally like Pavlov's dogs. <laughs> I mean, the experiment yeah. of, of positive reinforcement, it works. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to see. I mean, I'm kind of excited. I don't spend any time in those spaces, typically, that that Hard Rock provides. However, I would imagine the energy in, in all of those spaces has really been lifted this week. Exactly. All right. Last story this week is about the first ever South Asian New York Fashion Week, which happened a couple of weeks ago. I love this because a lot of fashion over the years has been adapted from South Asian culture. And this time, New York specific uh, week of New York Fashion Week is really designed to reclaim that narrative. I mean, there's been a lot of cultural appropriation. Let's let's be honest. And I say this as someone who does not wear those types of clothes also, to be honest, but I still really respect that, that a lot of brands have come together and that this is going to be a regular thing. It's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there are a few companies that understand their connection in in fashion, the ones that are, you know, sort of the biggest companies in the world. I know that Nike years ago, you know, made a public statement that, you know, they know that it was black culture in America that helped define the style of their product. I mean, that's to me quite a powerful statement. And what does that mean? Well, what are you doing for that community? And, you know, I think that they were on a journey that is very parallel to what we're seeing here in, in this, in this new space of, you know, I think it's really important that culture is that we're sensitive to what we take from culture. And when you start to blur the lines and bring art and culture together in art being that unique aspect of joining so many different aspects where people are pulling concepts of art that's been done before and, you know, it, it gets blurred. And many times we forget where that beauty comes from. And um, like you, I, I'm I'm really happy to see the recognition finally uh, in this space. And I'm sure there's many more. You know, when I saw that article, I thought, yeah, what about indigenous people, right? Like, I'm sure. And I started to think about, you know, Western wear and, you know, w- what that looked like. And so it really opened up how I started thinking about fashion and culture and, um I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, when, when some organization or a group of people do something that's never been done before, take that leadership, they really make change happen. And this is one of those where it really impacted the way I think about it from the moment I, I read when you shared it with me earlier in the week. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree. And, 
you know, these things are all ideas. And hopefully some of you folks listening out there will be inspired by some of these good vibes and bring them into your own organization or test them out. You never know what's going to work. Give everyone a hundred million. No, give everyone a big raise. Right. <laughs> you know, this, these are all experiments. Um, and it, it's really exciting for me to bring these good vibes to you every week. So thank you so much for joining me, Gara. Thank you all for watching or listening. And if you don't already get the five things newsletter, you can subscribe at fivethingsdei.com. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for five things in 15 minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.